Welcome to SBC This Week. I'm Brandon Porter. Laura Erlinson is here with me. Hi there, Laura. Hi, Brandon. You're a lot closer this week. I am. Not back in South on, Dakota anymore. That's right. On this side of the Mississippi, I um, yeah. um, had the opportunity to not only be at the Dakota Baptist Convention um, in this last week or so, but also at the Colorado Baptist Convention. And um, we're going to talk about those things a little bit later in, in the podcast. And so a uh, busy time for convention season right now across the Southern Baptist Convention states are getting together and conducting business. So yep, they're um, coming fast now. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, we're glad that you're listening with us. Uh, we want to thank our presenting sponsor, Subsplash, and um, we're going to hear from them in this episode of SBC This Week. We're also going to hear from Dan Darling a little later. We're going to talk about the evangelical statement in support of Israel that the ERLC released. We'll tell you about that early in the program, and then a little bit later in the program, we're actually going to hear from Dan, and he was one of the um, contributors, contributing voices to that. So, uh, Laura, all that's coming up. We've got a lot to talk about. But first, we want to thank Subsplash. We want to share a little bit from them with you. If you're a pastor who wants to engage with your congregation and build connections beyond weekend services, Subsplash can help. Subsplash allows your community to access messages, resources, and even give from one place, helping congregations connect in ways you never could have before. Learn more at subsplash.com forward slash SBC. When you use that link, you'll get a special discount, but you have to use the link. Again, it's subsplash.com forward slash SBC. So, Laura, as we just mentioned there, uh, we start out this program. We just can't not start out this program with Israel and all that's happening in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Of course, the I guess the day after we recorded this podcast last week, we had no idea this was what we were going to be talking about this week, mm-hmm. but it's what everybody's talking about now. Yeah. And um, everybody has heard about it now. It's just been a, a really hard week, a really sad week. Um, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Hamas um, conducted a surprise invasion, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, of Israel. And uh, so we had a lot of stories in Baptist Press this week about churches that were stranded over there, that had tour groups over there, and of mm-hmm. course about what Southern Baptists are doing in response and uh, how we can pray. And so um, there's a story already, Texas Baptist men have men over there already mm-hmm. said it. They, uh, they had been almost planning for this moment, kind of knowing that one day that this might come. They've been setting up feeding units over there for years and have never really gotten to use them. And now they're using them and they're going to serve up to 2000 meals a day. Um, And of course, Southern Baptists always have tour groups over there. You know, lots of people go to visit Israel. And so those people have been scrambling, trying to find ways to get home. And, and so we've had a lot, a lot going on this week. Yeah, so it was interesting to to jump into that early in the week because all mm-hmm. of a sudden you had groups that that needed to exit the country and then those who wanted to come in and That's both, right. That's both right. were struggling to accomplish those things. Yeah. Uh, m- many of the groups have been able to leave Israel. Um, uh, the, the groups who are either on mission trips or on uh, tourist trips um, that they have been able to exit. We heard about groups from churches all over the country. Um, and and like you said, uh, the, the Texas Baptist men, um, are, are many of them are in the country now and are serving and coming alongside to, to be um, a support and a help. Uh, another way that Southern Baptists have let out and tried 
trying to come alongside and be a support and help is through an evangelical statement that the ERLC spearheaded earlier this week and released. And, and while there are certainly lots of Southern Baptist names attached to it, it's also broader, Laura. It's, it's an evangelical mm-hmm. statement uh, calling for support of Israel and um, and and just a lot of, lot of important things are said in there. Um, as of late afternoon on October the 12th, it had uh, more than 1,300 signers. It calls for Christians to pray. It calls, um, it condemns the, the attacks and, and, and uh, calls on um, other nations to come alongside Israel and allow them to defend themselves and uh, just speaks for the right for the nation of Israel to, uh, to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a very, very powerful statement. Yes, and also this week, uh, several prayer guides were issued in the wake of this. Uh, the IMB issued a prayer guide, Send Relief, um, and of course, the executive committee issued one on behalf of Southern Baptists. Um, you can see that at Baptist Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there are five um, elements, I guess you would say, to this pr- prayer guide. Mm-hmm. Pray for peace, pray for protection of innocent people. Pray for justice for Israel and blessings on the nations who come to her aid. Pray for Christian believers in Israel and pray that Christ would be made known as God fulfills his eternal purposes for Israel. Yeah. And uh, that prayer guide is downloadable. Um, you could, if you're listening to this before your church service on Sunday, it's something that you could print as like a bulletin insert or just mm-hmm. read it uh, in your church service and have a prayer time for the nation of Israel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we, we put it in the Baptist Press toolbox. You'll see a little tab there at baptistpress.com for that. Um, I've also, Laura, we, we it's there as a PDF that, that you can download. I think you said that a minute ago. But I've also seen people take it and put it on their social media channels. And, oh, yeah, uh, that's sh- true. Sh- yeah, share that's it out right. that way. I've seen that too. Yeah, so so we, we sure would appreciate you doing that and, um, and then joining in and praying together uh, for Israel and for all that is happening there in the Middle East. And and as the week um, evolved and uh, further developed, Laura, then then obviously Send Relief is going to do the best they can to get there onto the scene and, and, and figure out how to help um, as quickly as they can. We had a story in Baptist Press uh, Thursday of this week. We're recording this on Friday. Um, that Send Relief is already on the ground. Um, that is the, uh, we've talked about this already many times, that they're that's the advantage of the cooperative program and the way we cooperate together is that we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. We already have people in the region that can just mobilize pretty quickly. So Send Relief is working with Baptist Village, which is a nonprofit organization near Tel Aviv, and they're already providing refuge and resources for people who've been displaced. Uh, this center has been there since the 1940s. Mm. And uh, so Bryant Wright, the president of Send Relief, said yesterday, our hearts are with the Jewish people. And uh, Jason Cox, who's the vice president for international missionary uh, mm-hmm. ministry at Send Relief, said that the situation is very volatile and escalating quickly. Mm. Uh, and he asks Southern Baptists to please pray as Send Relief is there in the middle of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate the great work that they um, do and, and are doing um, in this situation. Obviously, we know that they've not forgotten about Ukraine and uh, there are lots of other things going on around the world right now where they are uh, responding on on our behalf. And so we're we're grateful for them uh, doing that. Uh, Laura, we want to pivot because there there is other news as well in the SBC this week. And there there is a a big story um, off the West Coast that um, I think has folks uh, 
uh, holding mixed emotions when it comes to this as Jeff Orge announced um, his retirement and the the trustees at Gateway are putting in motion a transition plan. Yes, I don't even say that I have mixed emotions. I'm just straight up sad about this one. <laughs> well, um, I would think that Jeff Ward just kind of happy. So he's probably like, happy, you know. but I um I don't think I've ever actually met Jeff Ward, but I have just admired him from afar. Uh, every time I've ever heard him speak or read one of his uh, pieces in Baptist Press or wherever or on his blog. I'm just always so encouraged. I always learn something. Mm-hmm. I always get inspired to, to do something. He's such a champion of the cooperative program and just such an eloquent um, speaker about it and makes you want, makes you remember, like, why do we do this? And uh, so I was sad when I saw that he was retiring, but I hope that he's not leaving SBC life. I hope we can still hear from him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he is so, um, he's so motivating when you hear him. And he's also, as a leader, he's also so methodical and, um, and and that that is so helpful, and that makes complete sense because in the story uh, from Gateway, it lays out a very methodical plan that was first put together back in 2018. It was revised in early 2023, and it outlines the transition over an 18 month period. That's pretty amazing. I it mean, is. What organizations do you know that have that detailed of a plan years in advance? That's pretty. Uh, that just that shows once again. I think his leadership. Uh, abilities and and I remember you saying Brandon uh one time you were you've been out west a lot the last couple of years visiting mm-hmm. all this a lot of state conventions out there and mm-hmm. stuff and you've commented to me when you get home about just what a presence gateway has in the west absolutely how they've been very methodical about that about making sure that people in that in the northwest and in California and all mm-hmm. around have access to good seminary training absolutely yeah it, so. it's very um it's impressive um, is a word that, that I would use and and the, the care. So it's not just that they're offering a service, it's that they, they care about the pastors and they care about the church uh, churches that, that they are serving out there. You know, the other thing I would add about the transition plan is it's, I find it humble. When a leader works with an organization to put a transition plan in place, not only for him, but for generations to come, um, I, to me, that's a mark of humility um, because sometimes leaders can be guilty of when they're finished, then they just walk away. But but if you care about that organization and you want to see it succeed going forward long after you are finished, to me that that's just um, you you get gold stars in my book, and so uh, mm-hmm. so very very grateful for that. One well, more we, thing, really quick about it yeah, before you uh-huh. move on. This is an answer to an SBC Trivial Pursuit question. Yeah, if you oh, ever yeah, that's right. if you ever that's play right. that someday, <laughs> that's right. For the those of you playing of the, at home, if the question is who served as the chairman. Of the search committee tasks with finding the replacement for Jeff Orge at Gateway Seminary. Yeah. The answer is J. Robert White, who many of you will remember is the longtime executive director of the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. He was mm. there for years and he retired in 2018. So maybe he became a trustee at Gateway in 2018. And that's when they put together the plan mm-hmm. for the transition because he was like, hey, I just did this and we need to make a plan. I don't know. I'm yeah. totally spitballing, but. Anyway, so yeah, Robert White. I th- I read that. I was like, hey, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gateway wasn't the only seminary to uh, have their trustee meeting. Southeastern also has held their trustee meeting, and so we we heard from them this week um, with some details on that. 
Yeah, Southeastern Seminary, uh, their trustees met and they celebrated the fact that they they completed their For the Mission capital campaign, which they they started four years ago. And they were aiming to to raise $20 million and raise just over $25 million. Wow. And so that was a great celebration out there. And then they also named a new dean of the college at Southeastern. There's a story in Baptist Press today about, there will be about this, Seth Bible. Okay. Like you have to work at a seminary if that's yes, your name. But that's right. Seth Bible <laughs> is the new dean of the college at Southeastern. He's actually been at Southeastern for decades already, wow. serving in a variety of roles. And so now he's the dean awesome. uh, at the college. Very good. Very good. Well, so speaking of leadership, um, also a transition in Arkansas as the uh, con- state convention out there has named Rex Horn to be uh, their new state exec. Yeah. Rex has been the. Uh, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church uh, there in Little Rock. He was there for a long time. He was also the Arkansas Baptist State Convention president for two years in the 90s, and then the president of Wachita Baptist University for a long time, from 06 to 2015. He was mm. president of Wachita. Okay. Now he is the the executive director of Arkansas Baptists. Yeah, so we'll be praying for him as he comes into that permanent role. He follows Sonny Tucker there. So um, congratulations to him and to that state convention um, on closing out that chapter of interim leadership and moving to that permanent time there. Uh, down in Mobile, Laura, we, we have a story this week that that, um, that that is a very local story, but... Mm-hmm. You know, here in October, the Day of Prayer for Associational Missions is coming up on October the 22nd. And um, we we really were interested in this story because the Mobile Baptist Association played such a key role in a, in a local issue. And we wanted folks to, to see that and to know about that. Yeah, we had a story in Baptist Press this, this week that was actually uh, like a follow-up from a story from a little over a year ago when uh, the, the mayor of Mobile had hired... Um, some liaisons to work in the mayor's office specifically to um, liaison between the mayor's office and the LGBTQ community. And the uh, pastors in the Baptist Association there just said, well, why that? Why just that community? Why liaisons for that? And they were afraid in other cities that have kind of made that step, they've even gone yet further and tried to stifle dissent and it's mm. even involved some religious liberty infringement. And so these pastors got together and said, "This isn't necessary. You know, we uh, we don't we don't think this is the right thing." And then a year later, the mayor decided that he agreed. And so those liaisons are no longer mm. in uh, that office. And he said he had failed to nominate liaisons for any other group of people. And so instead of creating more unity, he had created more division. And mm. so the um, the association wrote a letter uh, commending the mayor for this decision and a statement of support and prayer for him and his administration. Yeah. So just a, just a testimony to the power of, of local associations and uh, that, that cooperative mission that, that when we pull together, uh, we really can, we're, we're better together as the saying goes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, speaking of better together across the, across the country, we mentioned it earlier, uh, Baptists are coming together. The Dakotas have they've had their meeting. Montana's had their meeting. Pennsylvania, South Jersey, Colorado. So uh, lots mm-hmm. of them. And more and, coming this week. Yeah, we're having yeah. reports that, from all of these in Baptist Press. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and that that's really just in this last week. And so there have been others that have previously happened. There we're we're getting ready to really ramp up and 
and and get moving here in the state convention meeting season. But then, Laura, we also wanted to um, highlight one other group that held a, a very impressive meeting. Yeah, I really loved this story in Baptist Press this week. Um, the Hmong Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, uh, of course, Southern Baptists have um, dozens of ethnic fellowships, and um, the Hmong people are are, are among those. Mm-hmm. They had two hundred and thirty five people at a meeting in Wisconsin, and they have fifty two churches in the Hmong Fellowship yeah. of Southern Baptist. That's great, and they're looking to plant a church every year. And so far, they're on track. They've been doing that the last several years, and so it was just a real interesting story about kind of where they are as a fellowship and what they're looking to do. And once again, you're just reminded of just how many different facets of Southern Baptist life there are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the Lord has called us to come together and uh, mm-hmm. to, to be about the Great Commission and uh, uh, making disciples. And uh, that that cooperative effort really is uh, just a blessing to be able to be a part of that. So um, so we're, we're excited about what the Lord's doing there among the Hmong people. Um, also want to remember that this month is CP Emphasis Month. It's still yeah, going on in October. speaking of cooperation, that's right. what we do this month. We emphasize the cooperative program. Yep. So at, people to do that. Yep. So at sbc.net, you can find resources. Many of our state conventions, I should say, all of our state conventions have resources um, on their websites for uh, CP promotion and education. So make sure to check those out. Um, and then, Laura, that uh, as we were talking about the emphasis uh, calendar and prep for this podcast, uh, we we're just also reminded of a story this week, uh, another story uh, following up on Caring Well Sunday, which was an, an emphasis Sunday just a, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Caring Well Sunday. This was the first year that we ever had a Caring Well Sunday on the SBC calendar. And so most churches aren't really used to, I would say, uh, emphasizing um, this issue. But Caring Well, for those of you that don't know, is um, an opportunity to address sexual abuse in your church mm-hmm. and maybe uh, talk about it, uh, care for survivors. Uh, and so there was a follow-up story from a few churches that actually had uh noted it in their services, and it was really powerful. It was. Um, A pastor in Lincolnton, North Carolina, Michael White, he said several survivors in his own church expressed their gratitude for him tackling the issue. And some of them he didn't even know had been uh, abuse survivors. they They didn't feel comfortable talking about it until he kind of brought it up, and then they told him. And um, he said, Caring Well Sunday is a chance for the church to lament, mm-hmm. weep with those who weep, but also let the gospel begin to heal our most painful wounds. Yeah, absolutely. It is. A, it's a very powerful story. And so I would hi- highly recommend that, that you go and find that at Baptist Press and um, and, and it will it will be worth your while. No doubt about that. Um, well, Laura, we, we have a couple of guests with us on SBC this week. This week, uh, one of them is Chris Sharp from Subsplash, and we're going to hear from him first. And then a little bit later, we're going to hear from Dan Darling. And so uh, stay with us as we uh, prepare to talk to these two important guests. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining us on SBC this week. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Brandon. So tell us a little bit about Subsplash. How, how does Subsplash help churches? Yeah, we, we are blessed to come alongside and partner with churches in a variety of ways. So first and foremost, we're an engagement platform. So we are helping churches figure out how do they really authentically connect to their people 
both when we're present, physically present, which we want to affirm and support, but also through the course of the week. So we have uh, mobile app platforms, website delivery, sermon delivery, Bible reading plans, uh, child check-in, group messaging, uh, volunteer management, email campaigns, this whole platform that really in, in a in a box is the digital platform to help churches engage with their people ongoing from Sunday and beyond. So when when you say that, are are you talking about an app? Are you talking about a website? You're talking about yeah. a little bit of both, right? Yeah, a- absolutely. So there's there's a variety of ways people connect. I mean, when we think about you know in the course of a week, there's maybe 168 hours, and we might get two hours on a Sunday, maybe a Wednesday night. Um, but how are we keeping people connected to the life of the church? Mm-hmm. So for us, people do interact on mobile. Mobile first is a big strategy. We do websites. Websites is really what we'll call your digital doorstep. It's where people discover you. You need to make sure it's got SEO, uh, it's search engine optimization, right? It's Mm -hmm. embedded in the right way to be discoverable. People are going to find you. They might watch a sermon, might make a donation. But mobile is where people are regularly engaged. So for us, making sure your sermons or your communication or your group messaging, uh, push notifications is coming through a mobile app. So we help churches with both. Customized mobile app. It's in the app store. You get that icon on your home screen. You're going to get the push notifications, which keeps which keeps it much more front of mind, mm-hmm. present, a way to interact. And then we have the websites to be that digital doorstep. And then we also do things like TV apps, Apple TV or Roku for people watching from home. Okay. Share with us some success stories, maybe a couple yeah. of things that come to your mind of how, man, this really, it, it really was helpful to this specific church. Sure. Yeah. Well, we've been blessed to see some pretty cool stories. And for us as as a company, you know, first and foremost, our mission statement is to glorify God and proclaim Jesus as Lord. Hmm. So how are we going to help churches, especially in this time? It's really interesting seeing, you know, leading up to COVID, during COVID and now post-COVID, what have we seen with how churches interacting? And a lot of people have moved physically. So how do we find new people? How do we discover new people? Uh, So for us, when we talk about um, this platform, we're thinking about engagement first. Right? How do we help churches move from thinking about just your Sunday average weekly attendance to all the possible people you can holistically engage? They might come once or twice a, a month uh, in person, but they might be hungry for accessing gospel content or for community or for serving or volunteering or being plugged into the life of your church in another way. So for us, when we look at that engagement first strategy, a couple things have really come out. First, we help people reach more people. Um, so there's just some incredible stories, Brandon, that we have been delighted by. Um, I'll give an example. There's one church. Um, they have about 200 people that might call that church home. Um, their mobile app has over 10,000 downloads. And in the course of a week, they're seeing about a thousand sermon plays through mobile. So that's one church that you think about. They have 200 people physically present. And then they have 10,000 people that have downloaded it and a thousand people listening to that sermon. That's a 5X reach weekly from what they can do on site. That's just one example. Um, So there's reach, expanding reach. Uh, We help churches become discoverable as well. Um, When we we ask a lot of churches, hey, how are people hearing about your church? And I would encourage all churches to do this. When you have someone new, how did they find out about you? What we are hearing over and over again is it's it's no longer they just saw you on the street corner. It's they Google churches near me, or they wanted to find a church that maybe fit um, what they're familiar with. And right now, especially with the mass migration of people, they're looking for a new church. Right now, there's a lot of people looking for a new church home. So make sure you're discoverable uh, online is is another thing. And then really important for churches is making sure your giving is flowing and you have that kind of the lifeblood of of our church is 
tithes and donations. Um, we have some cool stories. In fact, earlier this year, a couple months ago, um, an SPC church was talking to one of our um, reps on our team, one of our ministry consultants, and they said, um, we have a giving guarantee. When you're using our platform your first year, uh, we expect you to see growth, right? Assuming the church is about the same size and, and moving forward. This church said, you know, we didn't believe that. And in our first year, we're up over 20% in donations because you're giving people another way to connect to the church. And especially when we talk about small churches or uh, church plants, getting people to convert to digital is big. Not everybody might not bring that check, right? Especially millennials and Gen Z. And so how are we giving them a chance to participate as well? So those are just a few stories. You know, cost savings is another one. Church is getting out of debt by consolidating tools and having one platform. Um, but we're we're just blessed to hear these stories and ultimately stories of people coming to know Jesus because they interacted with sermons or uh, got into the Bible through a mobile app is very encouraging for us. Now, you mentioned a very power-packed mission statement um, yeah. just a moment ago for Subsplash. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about not only that mission statement, but about the company itself. Yeah, well, I, I've been blessed, Brandon, to be a part of this company for 13 years. And people ask me why I'm there, and it's that. It's the mission statement of the people. We're here to glorify God, proclaim Jesus as Lord. We want to build a great company that's going to be around not just for five years, but what does this look like a hundred years from now to be able to really serve the church? So we're building technology. We've got a team of people that are passionate about both as users, figuring out how to use it and their pain points they might interact um, with technology inside the church, but also how do we build something that's going to equip every church? We have this vision of, of seeing every church served and there's millions of churches across the globe. And there's technology we still need to build that we haven't got there yet. But uh, we have this big vision. So we've been serving churches now for the last 14 years. It started because uh, our founder and CEO wanted to build an app for his church. First app ever made for a church. And this was a year before Netflix had streaming. So this is back when you would like plug in your iPod and it's download. Like the prehistoric ages. <laughs> it feels longer ago than it was. <laughs> I know. But it's incredible today that you can stream content and a church can have the same type of technology as the largest companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that's how it started. And, you know, God's blessed us with the opportunity to build the team. And we serve uh, nearly 20,000 churches today. And yeah. uh, we're just blessed to, um, to be on that journey as we're dreaming about how do we help the next, you know, million churches use great technology to reach that one more person. So you mentioned a question a moment ago uh, that, that every church should ask and that uh, to, to guest, and that is, how'd you hear about us? Mm. What's maybe one more great question that, that you all find that churches should be asking right now? Mm. Yeah, I love that. Well, I, I'm seeing a lot of churches asking around how people can get plugged in and um, we have seen kind of a trend of asking for more service. How are people serving in their community? But I would encourage churches to think even aside from um, the natural needs that we need. We need people to serve in kids ministry and worship and set up and tear down. Absolutely. And there's people there. But also, if we want to reach our cities and we want to reach our communities with the gospel, um, what's something that we can ask our people to be doing outside the church? Um, and I know that that's that's not even connected to technology. That might not be connected to um, what's going on inside the building on a Sunday, but how are we asking people to to dream big? Um, I think, you know, for me, my dad's a pastor. I, I've grown up in the church. I've been very active in our church since it started 10 years ago. And uh, I want to I want to think that way myself. And I, I, I think churches might be surprised. People are willing to do a lot more when they're asked. We thank Chris Sharp from Subsplash for spending a few minutes with us here on SBC this week. 
Make sure to check them out at subsplash.com forward slash SBC. Now we turn our attention to Dan Darling. Uh, Dan is the director of the Land Center for Cultural Engagement at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, He is a contributing voice to the evangelical statement in support of Israel that was released by the ERLC this week. Dan, thanks for joining us on SBC this week. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, these are obviously really serious and sober times. And uh, hopefully, you know, we're praying for for Israel and praying for peace in the Middle East. Talk to us a little bit about that statement. Yeah, I mean, it it, it came together really the, the, that Saturday when we all woke up and with the just unfolding tragedy uh atrocities in um in israel and you know for me it's kind of personal on a few levels i mean i've been to israel four times i love that place uh i love the people there um i have a jewish background my mom's my late mother is jewish um my great uh i think my great grandparents or my my great great grandparents came over at the turn of the to, to, to America at the turn of the 20th century they escaped the pogroms in in uh, Poland and Russia and so there's a there's a history there um but obviously like everyone else I was very like most people I was very just shocked and, and and horrified by what we saw and thought you know it would be good for for us to get some evangelical leaders just to put out a statement to say, you know, we stand with Israel, uh, we want to condemn Hamas. And so um, I started talking to Brent Leatherwood, you know, uh, who's the president of ERLC, and obviously we're colleagues at ERLC and thought, you know, what would this look like? And we we just started working and t- consulting with a bunch of leaders. Dr. Uh, L. Moeller was really helpful, and um, several Southern Baptist leaders were really helpful. Um, and uh, it was really great the way it came together. Mm. What do you hope that it accomplishes? Well, I think it, it can be a framework for um, Christians to think about this. Um, it was really important for us to first condemn the violence. Um, I think the first thing to do when something like this happens is not to try to game plan what it's going to look like, not to try to um, lecture the victim, you know, um, you know, this was horrible. There's no um, equivocation about the atrocities of, of of Hamas going after, you know, unarmed, unsuspecting civilians uh, in such a horrific way, and, and, and the news keeps getting worse. You know, the the children, women and children killed in their beds, the the uh, beheading of babies, and just just awful. Um, so we wanted to first condemn that because you know Scripture condemns it. We wanted to talk about why um, it's important to stand to, to defend Israel's right to exist and Israel's right to defend themselves. This does not mean it's a blank check for Israel. Um, we've never felt that. I mean, God has never given even Old Testament Israel a blank check. It doesn't give any country, and it doesn't mean we agree with everything Israel does as a nation, but their right to exist, the right to defend themselves, I think was really important for us. And to unfold why that matters to Christians, um, we also wanted to get people from various eschatological and theological perspectives. You know, there are some um, who are dispensationalists or some who are, who are not. Um, we all feel like there's a special um, connection for uh, to Israel with Christians, Christians in Israel, because you know our Savior is a Jewish Savior, because God chose to work through the family of Abraham, um, and because um, really from a pragmatic standpoint, uh, in the last 
uh, several centuries, they've endured tremendous attacks and attempts to um, uh, attempts at genocide. If you go back to the pogroms, you go back to the Holocaust. They they have to have their own place where they feel secure, and uh, they're they're the most democratic country in that region. So there's a lot of reasons why we should do that. So we wanted to put that forward and then just talk about how we feel about the Middle East. We we feel about, uh, we, we pray for Israel. We pray for Palestine. We pray for Palestinians. We know there's Christian brothers and sisters in there that are trapped in between all these different factions. We we wanted to make sure that statement was in there to so that they know um, we care about them and we see them. Uh, they, they are often oppressed by their own leadership who exploits them. Um, and so we want to put that and also talk about why we feel, um, you know, war is, is just, we wanted to talk about just the just war tradition and we didn't unpack the just war tradition. It wasn't, that wasn't the right time to do it, but it's implied in there that it, there's, there's restraints, right? There's, um, it has to be proportional. It has to be a war that is, um, you know, that is just in that way. There's a lot of things that go with that. But we wanted to put that in there, and then obviously pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So I think it's important for for Israel to hear that you know Christian leaders, pastors, academics, um, leaders of organizations, evangelical organizations, speak with one voice on this. Hmm. The final paragraph of the statement says, "We call on American policymakers to use their power to take all forms of terrorism seriously." and call governments and civil authorities to confront evil work to prevent future attacks so that the innocent and vulnerable will be protected. What does that look like for American policymakers? How do they, how do they do that? Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the main functions of government is the protection of people, right? Romans 13 says that the government does not bear the sword in vain. Um, they do that to protect, uh, they bear the sword uh, to do good and avenge evil. Um, so of all the things we ask the government to do, that's one of the main things. And so we're calling on the U.S. government and all governments to to um, defend their countries against terrorism and be proactive against terrorism to, to make sure we can, uh, I think it's just and right to say that we would like to see the Hamas terrorist network um, destroyed because their whole goal and their charter is to kill as many Jewish people as they can. Um, uh, there, there are Psalms that pray for the wicked, the people who prey on the innocent to be brought to justice. This is a biblical concept. No, we don't want to be bloodthirsty. We don't have bloodlust. We don't want to just be indiscriminate with what, in terms of you know how we do this, but we call on governments to wisely and and um uh purposefully and proactively um you know uh go after terrorist networks and and to keep their country safe I, I think one lesson we're learning brandon is that um america has a role in the world and uh you know we can debate foreign policy there there's a lot of a lot of people have brought up some really good important you know, um, objections to some of our foreign policy misadventures. Uh, but we have a role in the world and the idea that we can just sort of ignore the world. And uh, I just don't think is realistic, um, you know, because the people who want to do harm to Israel, to America, to free nations, you know, they are not going to pause while we 
you know, sort of navel gaze. They're they're going to continue to do that. So we have to have a role in the world. You know, good people are going to disagree what exactly that looks like and the best methods and what the shape of that is. But I think that's just something as as Christian Americans we have to think through. I also think to whom much is given, much is required. God has blessed us with enormous prosperity and um, riches. And of course, the American government's first responsibility is to take care of their own. But I think we also have a responsibility to um, try to um, be active in the world to promote peace um, and um, uh, on behalf of uh, nations like Israel. Well, we appreciate your work on this uh, statement and appreciate you taking some time with us on SBC this week. Well, thank you. And I appreciate uh, really the good work and reporting that you, you guys are doing. So, Laura, that's just helpful to hear from Dan Darling there, the thought behind that statement that was released by the ERLC this week. And um, we certainly want to be mindful. We mentioned the prayer guide earlier um, in the program, and we certainly want to be mindful of the great need for Christians to pray for what's happening in Israel. Absolutely. It's just been um, just a reminder this week that the world is uh, very unstable, and um, but we have a foundation and we don't have to be afraid, uh, but we can be concerned and we can pray. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to us about a history moment that um, is very encouraging. Um, I love we, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah it I love mirrors modern day, I think. I didn't know much about this guy. I think I had heard his name, uh, maybe, or seen his name. But uh, when I was looking, I found 70 years ago this week at, in October of 1953, Baker James Cawthon was elected executive secretary of the Foreign Mission Board, which is basically president of what is now the International Mission Board. And he had been a missionary in China. And then after that, he was secretary of the Orient is what they called sort of the person over that region. There was a lot of disease that affected his family. Even there was famine that they dealt with. And uh, so he was there for several years, and then he became the secretary of that region. And mm. then he uh, became uh, executive secretary of the whole mission board. While he was in uh, China, though, he led the opening of new mission work. Billy Graham yeah. called Coffin one of the greatest missionary statesmen in all of American church life. Wow. So he became the president in 1953. He served as the president for more than 25 years. Hmm. And while he was in that role, the number of Southern Baptist missionaries went from 908 to nearly 3,000. That's great. The number of countries in which they served went from 32 to 95. Wow. Financing went from $6.7 million to $76.7 million when he retired in 1979. Hmm. And so it was just really encouraging to think here's a man that really, I mean, consider that in just 25 years, which, you know, is a normal tenure at a place, I would think, for that mm -hmm. kind of a role, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit longer than normal. Mm -hmm. But it the growth just exploded yeah. while he was there. And so it was just encouraging to see that. And uh, we're we're seeing that now. We're, the pipeline of new missionaries ready to go to the field is growing. We've talked about that on this podcast. That Absolutely. It's, um, and so I feel like we're maybe in kind of a moment like that too now yeah. again, which is very exciting. It is. Boy, it is. It's it's encouraging to hear about God's blessing and um, when, when people lean in together to this cooperative mission, how the Lord works to carry us forward and uh, blesses right. those efforts. Absolutely. Well, Laura, thanks for sharing that. Uh, thank, thanks for uh, for all, all your work um, here this week on SBC this week. Some very uh, hard news, but I, I, I hope folks will, will come away with a little bit of encouragement as well to see how God is being faithful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Thanks, Brandon. 